Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. I believe prayer is one of the most confusing and neglected dimensions of the life of far too many Christ followers today. I know that's a bold and unsettling statement, but sadly I believe it to be a true statement. And as we have made our way through the book of James in this 16-week journey, and we'll wrap up the series next week, we find that James, the brother of Jesus, has much to teach us about prayer. And we looked at one of his sections in that letter that he wrote to the persecuted Jewish Christ followers of the first century. And in this section of scripture in chapter five, he teaches us about prayer. And last week we looked at the first part of this passage beginning with James 5:13 and going on down to the middle of verse 16. And if you missed last week's service, I encourage you to go back and to watch it online because as I unpacked the scripture, I also shared a story about one who prayed diligently with his family for physical healing and God's will was that he received the ultimate healing by going home to be with his Lord. And then you heard the story of my wife, Cindy, and how we prayed for divine healing, and God's will was to grant that healing instantly and miraculously. And as we do every week, we prayed with people at the altar and anointed them with oil, as that passage teaches us to do. And we saw God do a work of healing in several of those that we prayed for. And we give him all the glory. So let's go back and review the part of the passage that we looked at last week, and then we'll look at the rest together. James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, and as always, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. As I look back at that passage that was our focus last week, did you hear the repetitive commands to pray in all kinds of situations? James says, are you suffering hardships of any kind? You should pray. Are any of you sick? Then call the elders to come and pray. Do you have sins that you have not been forgiven of and and you have not repented of? You should confess your sins and pray. But how do you pray? When do you pray? 
For what and whom do you pray? Well, James will answer all of these questions as we complete this section of his letter. And we find power in prayer. So let's pick up where we left off last week, the 16th verse of James chapter 5, beginning in the middle of that verse. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Now, don't let it throw you off when James says the earnest prayer of a righteous person, and you hear that and say, well, that's not me. I'm about as far sometimes from righteous as I could be. Well, let's understand what James is talking about here. A righteous person in this context does not mean a sinless one. Because as I look out at this crowd on the lower floor and those of you up in the balcony, and I look back at the the pulpit, guess what? I don't see any perfect people. There are none of us who are perfect. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. So we're not talking about a perfect person, a sinless person, but a righteous person in this context is someone who is deeply committed to Jesus Christ. They have been born again. They have put their faith in him, and they have committed their lives to follow him, and that commitment lives on, and their love for him is growing. They don't follow him out of a sense of obligation, but out of deep love for Jesus. That's the kind of person that James is talking about here. And he says that kind of person's prayer makes a difference. It's powerful. It's effective. And if your desire is to grow in Christ, to be more faithful today and tomorrow than you were yesterday, then This is for you because it doesn't mean that you've arrived at full spiritual maturity, but that you're making intentional progress toward it. Put a pause in James 5, and and let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say uh, about this kind of, of progress, this kind of growth in the life of a Christ follower. Look with me on the screen at Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. The great Apostle Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, no. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. And then I love the 14th verse. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. It was the love of Christ that both commissioned and motivated and was at the core of the heart and life of the Apostle Paul. And that's what he desires for us, that Jesus would be Lord, not just in the sense of the songs we sing or the scriptures we read, but truly in our heart, there is no one above him. Jesus is Lord. And if that's your desire, then the kind of prayer that you can pray 
will make a difference. Because here's what I believe. There is a direct correlation between progress in your faith journey and the depth of your love for Jesus. Let me explain. There are those who are in religious systems that believe that godliness is achieved by what they do, by adhering to some ritual or sacrament or the legalism that their church teaches that tries to guilt people into a narrow avenue of life. And while they might do righteous things under that kind of yoke and with that kind of motivation, that's not what the, the Christian life, the life of a Christ follower, is meant to be. It is meant to be a life coming from a heart that's so full of love for Jesus you can't help but serve him that you love him so deeply, that he gives you joy, and even in the midst of the difficulties of life, you trust in him, you believe in him, you look to him, you read and know his word and believe that it's true. And James, in illustrating this principle, looks back to someone in the Old Testament that these Jewish Christ followers that are being persecuted in the first century would be very familiar with. His name was Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. You may remember the story where he called down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel and it, it exploded that altar and all of the false prophets were, were not only disgraced, but I, I hate to be this honest, they were exterminated. The great power of God in response to the prayer of Elijah. Well, here's what he says about that prophet of old, verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are. I don't know about you, that gives me encouragement. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, None fell for three and a half years. Now think about that. Elijah was as human as we are. He had faults. He had weaknesses. And if you know the whole story, some of those were played out in how God worked in his life. He was human. He was imperfect, just like us. And yet God used his prayer to shut the heavens from rain for three and a half years. And what that is telling us, as well as those early Christ followers, is that God is not requiring you to be a superhero spiritually for your prayer to be effective. You don't have to be a spiritual superman or wonder woman, whatever that means. All you have to be is a committed, growing follower of Jesus Christ. And when Elijah prayed, when he prayed earnestly, it says, he prayed earnestly. In other words, it wasn't just a quick shout out to God and then move on with real life. No, it was focused, heartfelt, continual, persistent prayer. In our generation of wanting instant gratification and microwave Christianity, We've lost the art, I fear, of persistent, continual prayer. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus said, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking 
and you will find. Keep on knocking. And the door will be opened. The door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. James and Jesus were saying, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Don't stop. Keep on praying. The persistent, intense prayer that Elijah offered up is what shut down the heavens from rain in accordance with a plan that God had to call his people back to him for three and a half years. And the drought came. And then in God's perfect timing and plan, back to James 5, verse 18, then when he prayed again, sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. What impact do you think that had on people of Elijah's day? Elijah's answer to prayer became living proof that God is real and that he listens to his people when they pray. What about your prayers and mine? How are we to pray? Well, I think there's some instruction here. First, our prayers are to be continual throughout the course of our daily lives. They're not just to be relegated to when you come to church and somebody leads in prayer. But daily, a prayer, it it applies to every situation in your life. It applies to every circumstance in your life. So throughout your day, every day, there ought to be a continual dialogue between you and God. It ought to become a constant rhythm of your life. Like breathing. Do you have to remind yourself to breathe? Well, I hope not. We just breathe because it's normal. It's, it's what we do. It's who we are. Prayer ought to be like that spiritually for the Christ follower. But instead, far too many Christ followers treat prayer like a fire extinguisher. They wait until there's a crisis, till there's a fire in their life, and then they bring out prayer to try to spray it on that, hoping that it'll douse the flames. Listen, God does hear us when we're in a crisis. He does answer when we have needs, but he wants prayer to be so much more than that. It's to be a constant in our lives. I want to go back to the words of the Apostle Paul, this time 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I love this passage. Paul says it's so much better than I could. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Paul says, always be joyful. In other words, if you're a Christ follower, don't be a grump. Always be joyful. Now look at verse 17. Never Stop praying. If you grew up with the King James like I did, it said pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you don't ever do anything else, but it means prayer is happening all the time. Never stop praying. And verse 18, be thankful in all situations, all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, you're to live joyfully. You're to live prayerfully. You're to live gratefully to God. 
or his goodness to you. Our prayers should always be based on a knowledge of and submission to Scripture. A knowledge of and a, scripture, and a submission to Scripture. Why? Because if you don't understand the Word of God, the perfect divine revelation of God to mankind, you won't know what to pray for, you won't know when to pray, you won't know how to pray, because God teaches us that in the Scripture. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.105, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet, and a light for my path. And so how do we pray? Our prayer should be based upon our faith in God, in his power, our patience for his timing, not ours, and trust in his wisdom. Faith in God's power, patience for his timing, and trust in his wisdom. Elijah, as a man of great faith, knew what to pray for, he knew when to pray, and he knew how to pray. He had the will of God in his heart. We should aspire to be men and women like Elijah. Now, I want to shift gears here and, and say something that may be a little bit disturbing. There are people who indeed use prayer like a fire extinguisher. And sometimes it's because they've lit the fuse of the fire with their own irresponsibility. And so here's what we need to understand. In prayer, we can repent when we've been irresponsible. But prayer is not a substitute for living responsibly. Sometimes we live irresponsibly, we get ourselves in trouble, and then that's when we pray. Where the scripture says that living foolishly and irresponsibly is not to be the pattern of life for a Christ follower. Now, let's be honest, we have all made bad choices in our past, right? Anybody else besides me? Yeah, all of us, all of the hands should have gone up. We've, we've all made bad choices, but the pattern of consistent living for a Christ follower should not be irresponsibility. It should be seeking the wisdom and the will of God. And so prayer is not meant to be, God, I've got myself in a mess, would you bail me out again? Though God hears our prayers of panic but we are to learn how to live responsibly. Again, the words of Paul, Ephesians 5, 15. Paul said, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. I, I love the New Living Translation. It just puts it out there just like it is. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I said to the first service, uh, if, if Paul called the days in which he lived evil days, what do you think he'd call the days we're living in? So make the most of every opportunity. Live wisely. And then verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So that's some about how we should pray, but who should we pray for? 
Who ought to be some of the, I can never exhaust the list, but let me talk about a few groups of people that we ought to be praying for consistently. First, pray for your family. Pray for those who are closest to you, for their spiritual, emotional, and physical health, and that they would see God at work in their lives. I am fully convinced, don't miss this, I am fully convinced that God wants to do some things in the lives of those we love the most, but he will not do them unless we pray for them. Are you following me? He will only do those things that are in his heart to do in response to the prayers of his people. I said in the first service that as I was preparing this message, uh, God brought me under conviction that I need to pray more for my grandchildren. I, I do pray for them regularly, but I need to pray more for them. I love them with all my heart. We have 20 grandchildren. And uh, to our great surprise and delight, after the first service, one of my grandchildren surprisingly showed up. This is Christian C. Raise your hand, Christian, if you would. Amen. Christian, I'm committing to pray for you and your cousins even more than I have in the past because I love you and I want God's best for you. You, you are his child. And we need to pray for our family, for our spouses if you're married, for your parents if they're still living, for everybody in your family. Pray for specific things in their lives that they need that you're aware of. But don't pray answers. In other words, don't tell God what he ought to do. But pray in those areas of their life for God to do a work that would draw them closer to him. And here's yet another group. Pray for the gospel and the kingdom of God to advance and for those you know and those you don't know to come to faith in Christ. Listen, the scripture teaches, and sometimes we, we kind of forget this, the scripture teaches that those who don't know Christ by faith, if their earthly life should end or Jesus were to return, they would spend eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Now, I don't necessarily think flames and all that are literal. You may believe that. I think it is more awful than we can understand. And so those are some of the terms in our little bitty earthly ability to understand that God uses to tell us that is not where anybody should spend eternity. And the scripture says it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Amen. And so we need to be praying for people. Not only our family, but people in your spheres of influence and people you contact in the course of your daily life. Whether it's the checkout person at the grocery store or, or your insurance agent or whoever it might be. Even if God doesn't say, I want you to share the gospel with them. If he does, you should do that. But even if that's not the right time for you to do that, you can always pray for people. Even if you don't know where they stand spiritually 
Pray for people to come to faith in Christ. There are many things you could pray for for other people, but the most important thing is that they would know Jesus, that they would come to saving faith in him. And pray that there would be a great awakening in our nation. There are some of you that are not old enough to remember, but I remember the Jesus movement back in the 70s. And there was a spiritual awakening among young people. And it, it had some extremes and some flaws, and it wasn't perfect. But thousands of young people came to faith in Jesus. I pray that we as a nation would see something like that, but ten times greater. Are you praying for that? Are you praying for our nation? Not just for your political desire, but are you praying for our nation to come to faith in Christ? And then pray for all those you know who have medical, material, or other kinds of needs. Now, I said in the first service as well, I don't know of a church that does that better than this church. This is a praying church. We have prayer groups everywhere. We have Sunday school classes and journey groups that, that all pray on a regular basis for people who have needs. Don't stop. Do it more. Because you and I both know people in our church and outside of our church that need healing or they need financial provision or they need a job or, or they need healing in their marriage or in their family. Whatever it might be, pray for people's needs, that God would meet them and that he would do it in a way that they would see clearly that could have only come from the Lord. That could have only come from Jesus. So, how do we pray spiritually? Pray in Jesus' name and in his authority, yet in complete submission to his will. Let me read some startling words of Jesus. Would you listen to the words of the Savior? Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 22. Then Jesus said to, to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Now, Jesus is not speaking literally here, and Jesus is also not saying you can turn God into the giant Santa Claus in the sky, and you can ask him for anything. Oh, God, take away my 2016 Chevy Impala and give me a brand new Ferrari. You know, when we pray selfish prayers, when we pray prayers, uh, prayers that are not in accordance with God's will, we shouldn't expect the mountain to be moved. But if we're praying for something that is in accordance with God's will, is in alignment with Scripture, and will bring glory to God, there is no limit to what God can and will do. And so, pray with faith that God hears you and that he will answer you in his own time and in his own way. We don't place demands on God. That's not what prayer is. 
We don't presume on God that we would have him do what we want him to do, but we plead with God, believing in his power, asking, seeking, and knocking. You've heard me quote this before. God is never in a hurry, but he's never late. He will do what is his will to do in the time that he chooses to do it. And so, pray persistently and believe that your prayer will be answered before you ever see any evidence that is. If it is something you know to be in accordance with God's will, then pray and believe God is going to do it before you can ever see it on the horizon. Have faith in God's faithfulness. That's how we're to pray. So let me, as I have done throughout this series, let me end the service with three questions of you. Okay, are you ready? If you've been snoozing, wake up, punch your partner next to you, and three questions of you, okay? Here's, here's the first. How much have you prayed since last Sunday? How much have you prayed since last Sunday when Dalton or someone else or Pastor Mill asked you to bow your head and pray? How much have you prayed since then? Because I can tell you, if the only time you pray is when somebody in church leads you to pray, you're in need of a serious prayer upgrade. A serious prayer upgrade. God wants more for you and from you. Here's the second question. When you pray, do you tell God that you love him? Do you tell the Lord Jesus that you love him and that you're thankful to him, you're grateful to him? Or do you just ask him for something? Can I tell you that our prayer lives ought to be probably 90% praise and gratitude to God and maybe 10% petition? We're called to ask him for things but our prayer life must be much more than that. And when you express that to him, he grows that love for him in you. Here's the, here's the last question. Will you disregard this teaching or will you take steps to deepen your prayer life? It's your move. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you want us to be people of prayer. You want us to be people who ask and seek and knock. You want us to be people who understand the will of God because we understand and know the Scripture. You want us to be people of faith who believe that when we pray in accordance with your will, in your name, and under your authority, that there is no mountain that you can't move, whatever the mountain in our life might be. So, Father, make us people of prayer. Make this church, this good, godly, praying church, even more a church of people of prayer that we might see the power of God unleashed in a fresh new way that would astound each of us and be a, an undeniable testimony to those who do not yet know you. Lord, we come now to end our service in prayer. 
And so we ask that you hear us and that you respond in accordance with your will. And while your heads are still bowed in just a moment, I'm going to ask prayer partners to come to the front, both here on the lower floor and in the balcony. There are deacons in our church and their wives, and they will pray with you about anything on your heart for yourself or someone you're burdened for. I encourage you to take advantage of that. If you're sick today, then I want you to do what James chapter 5 says we ought to do. Call upon the elders of the church, and as an elder of this church, it would be my honor and privilege to anoint you, and Cindy and I will pray over you that God would heal you in accordance with his timing and his will. And if you have no such need that you need to bring to the altar, would you just pray right where you are and make it an altar? And if you're here today and you need to take the next step in your faith journey, you need to get serious about walking with God. You need to quit playing games and begin to follow him faithfully. Then just come forward and say to one of the prayer partners, I need to take the next step. And they'll show you how you can do that. Heavenly Father, hear our prayers today to the honor and glory of Jesus our King, in whose name we pray, amen.